Hey there, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm happy to have you joining us. So this week, we're going to be featuring our monthly guest, and this will be none other than Dr. Michael Bays. So I've gotten to know Dr. Bays for about the past seven years, and I can attest to every time we get together, we end up having some very lengthy conversation on a really deep topic, uh, whether it be economics, um, you know, what's going on in the country, what's going on abroad, foreign policy, you name it, we've discussed it. And I always find extremely unique uh, approaches to looking at some of these really, really intricate and complex matters. So I thought, you know, who would be a better guest on this show? And also, again, as we're always trying to chase that state of well-being that I promote or wealth in its original meaning, I thought that uh, Dr. Bayes would give us a lot of great insight beyond just finance, but really in how to live a better lifestyle. So if you're not familiar with who Dr. Bayes is, let me give you a quick bio. He's a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. And over the past 15 years, he has served as the clinical director of acupuncture at Sunrise Detox, Richmond University Medical Center for Substance Abuse, and the South Beach Psychiatric Rehab Center. He's a graduate of the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine, and his training has consisted of over 3,000 hours of study on acupuncture and herbal medicine at nationally accredited colleges. A fun fact on the side, he's fluent in several languages beyond English. He also speaks Greek, Spanish, Mandarin Chinese, and Arabic. And perhaps that's where we get a lot of this uh, diverse knowledge on so many different areas. Currently, his practice, which is located in Shrewsbury, New Jersey, is focusing on women's health and infertility, pain management, and substance abuse relapse prevention. His research has included epigenetic mechanisms of acupuncture, herbs, and nutrition, and their epigenetic application for early detection and prevention of disease. And we're going to get into that in a little bit, particularly the human genome and how we can really understand our makeup, our DNA, and what that correlates to how we can live every day to have a better life, what our habits, our nutrition, our diet, our methods of exercise, uh, how to really cater to those things to each individual based on science. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Michael Bays and stay tuned for the next 45, 60 minutes as we have a very eclectic conversation that I assure you, you will find entertaining and also with some great nuggets of information to walk away with, again, to lead a healthier and wealthier lifestyle. Thanks. Stay tuned and enjoy. Mike, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, Brian, for having me. Definitely. So how did you get into this? I mean, there's so much you hear about acupuncture. Like, is this, you grew up as a kid wanting to come this direction? Not at all. If I met my 16-year-old self and said you were going to be an acupuncturist, I would probably be dumbfounded. But uh, honestly, um, I started early on in the family business. I was supposed to take over the family business, which was ship repair. So I had done my undergrad in production operations management in a uh, business science, uh, bachelor's in science, and um, after a while, I had just gotten two, two businesses. So being told okay. that you're going to take over, my, my graduate degree, I felt I didn't feel like I had to pursue more business, and it was kind of you know dull and boring. 
Uh, so I had a general interest in medicine, a general interest in science, and you know, in your 20s you're doing some Eastern metaphysical reading and probably some martial arts, and I said, hey, you know what, I'm going to study acupuncture. Of course, that's the most natural thing to do when you're running <laughs> a shipyard. But uh, it was generally a whim and interest, and um, you know, I had this. You hear you hear a lot of words out there, a lot of like new age words like chi and things like that, and I just felt like that there was this translatable idea of what chi is, and chi in Chinese medicine is basically energy in English, but it's the energy that flows in your body, like chemical exchanges, the electricity in your nerves, the uh, chemical exchanges of uh, oxygen in the bloodstream and it's all a blanket term which can be misperceived as like some mystical force and uh, it's not it's a very real thing and we we kind of do that so in in a way once I started going through towards the end of my educational career I felt like this is something I wanted to do I wanted to practice acupuncture so acupuncture kind of chose so were you, were you studying that like as you were taking over the business in a way yeah so time? I would be putting about like you know close to 40 to 60 hours a week in the shipyard and doing my schooling, you know, full time also, okay. uh, you know, being a family business, sometimes you can sneak out the back and study for a test, but, uh, yeah. you know, we, we were running things and it, it was a dual life and it took a lot of energy to do that, but, uh, it was rewarding in the end. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. So about what stage was it that you said, you know, enough with the, the business and, kind of that entrepreneurial world and, and you went full tilt into acupuncture. So I was doing uh, part time. I, I, I did. So, you know, you could work in the shipyard from seven to three to eight hours a day and you can hit the afternoon shift, evening shift and see patients in the evening. Uh, and I was doing that for a while, but uh, things change. You know, uh, I think the industrial business in New York, because we were based out of Brooklyn, became hostile. You know, it was like nobody wanted trade work like welding and, and engineering and mechanical work they wanted pretty you know um cruise ship terminals they wanted waterfront uh condominiums and ikea had come in and actually bought the property in like 2004 and uh once you don't have a dry dock you can't dry dock ships and your business is basically handicapped and by then i didn't want to travel because you get to travel and ship repair so i had this to fall back on and by 2004 i shifted into full-time acupuncture with some consulting i do my background uh in the family business and, and being the youngest you probably get all the work that nobody wants to do which includes <laughs> safety and industrial hygiene so i got kind of pigeonholed into like you know accident reduction worker health uh hazmat you know because you're dealing with a lot of like harmful chemicals that need to be um, disposed of properly asbestos lead all these things were big things especially in the 90s because the government had requirements to remove all lead all asbestos and as a contractor it's your responsibility to make sure it doesn't end up on the beach in staten island or you know on the shore in new jersey yeah so uh people didn't think it was important i at the time it was it was you know a, a thankless job yeah you know telling people to wear their hard hats make sure that they <laughs> yeah. have you know they don't kill themselves that gets old them. quick yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but it. in the end it actually came to be applicable in in my in my work now i mean think about it most people sit at a desk for eight hours a day that's that's not that's definitely going to take a toll and i look it back at like ergonomics getting up stretching taking frequent breaks like sitting is the new smoking right now yeah standing desks are big and uh by the way you shouldn't stand too long either okay uh, that that I do have the problem. standing desk, so I'm, yeah, I'm well, part of that movement. <laughs> well, you'll get sciatica at some point. So. <laughs> Either way, look, if I've learned anything, moderation is the key. Anything sure. too much is is not going to be good. So too much standing, too much sitting, 
um, you know, exposure to, you know, bulbs, all these things. I, I consulted on a case with an attorney that if you're sitting in the wrong way and, and you have, you know, uh, you know, your, your bulbs or the neon bulbs that are above you, they'll cause eye damage over time, especially if you're looking at a computer all day long. So there's a certain way, and these are all standards within, like, the government and OSHA uh, for, for worker safety. So it all applies because that's what you see now. You, know, yeah. you don't want to get away from it as much as you try. It comes back to bite you. So yeah. somebody sitting at a desk right now is going to have low back pain. Yeah. Neck pain staring at a computer, you know. Yeah. And now did you um did you like right out the gates kind of start your own business where we are here oh, yes. today? Or? Yeah. Uh okay. so like day one, because I didn't have to get a job in acupuncture to sort myself, I started and opened a practice. So it's been full time practice since two thousand three. Yeah. Okay. So two thousand three, February, uh I have been practicing, so that makes it a little over fifteen years, including schooling, that counts too. So it's it's a lot of experience to for a one person. That's awesome. And now I know there's a lot of probably myths and, and misconceptions about this this whole field as there is any area of medicine. So how exactly does acupuncture work? If you could take us behind the scenes like people think you're just getting poked with a needle, like what what's happening there? Okay, so it, so one of the things that I enjoyed or I applied myself to uh, acupuncture specifically was looking at it through the, the lens and the paradigm of what, what we know is biology, right? Sixth grade biophysiology. That's how the body works. Um, there is the textbook that we use today, unfortunately, uh, were, were, outdated, were like an old Chinese jargon that they don't use anymore, mistranslated from French and then into English. So it picked up a lot of this new age hokiness of uh, terminology that we're not familiar with, but has become the mantle of how people practice. So you'll hear some weird terms. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is what it is. It's something else. And you lose a lot in translation. So basically, I tell people there's three basic effects of acupuncture, right? So obviously, we're, we're causing a micro injury. We insert the filament. It's painless, by the way. I don't think anybody at this point should be afraid because the way we insert it, uh, it, it doesn't register as pain on the skin. It gets through the skin fast. And what we're doing is we're applying it to tissues underneath. So say like a muscle. That person who sits at a desk from three to eight hours, you know, eight hours a day, has a pain of three to eight, responds well to stretching and heat. So what happens is by sitting, your muscles aren't getting the right circulation, and then the muscle cells themselves tend to kind of rebel. So the first thing we do is we insert the filament, yep. right, causing a micro-injury, and we agitate the tissues, which, number one, increases circulation. The micro-injury, right, with the, the, it's a very small, minute sort of reaction. Uh, so think about if you cut yourself, you don't bleed out dying if you're not a hemophiliac, right? You'll, you'll, you'll heal yourself. That's the mechanism yep. that we're, we're kind of harnessing with the micro-injury of the filament right away. Uh, then that signal itself, after we increase circulation, that, that signal actually travels up the nerve pathway, blocking chronic pain signals, that 3 to 8. Um, and then it, what we call the gate theory or we neuro neuromodulation, we actually block the pain signal because it's actually slow. Right, and so once that gets to that brain, it releases endorphins, and then endorphins, what they do is they further have a pain relieving quality. But for the most part, those are the the the, the runners high or punch drunk chemicals in the body that protect you or get you to rest when you you know receive some sort of trauma, and those can get you out of like your autonomic dysfunction, your anxiety, your stress. That's what everybody talks about. That's why acupuncture yep. is so good. It's stress relief is because the endorphin release, but. Uh, 
underlying we're tracking uh, an underlying condition like an injury that the local effect tends yeah. to kind of repair over time so ideally your three to eight low back pain should resolve itself um with you know a few treatments and then you know yeah good after that okay and, and that's great because i'm glad that you brought up you know the stress too i think most of our listeners here are people that are interested in business or they run their own business and pretty much run themselves into the ground in a lot of ways so usually when I'm talking with clients and we're getting into all different topics of, you know, how to manage stress, it seems like working out is kind of like that escape for a lot of folks where we, we get that runner's high, like you mentioned. So essentially acupuncture, correct me if I'm wrong, is creating that same outcome via the endorphins? Yes, absolutely. That is the mechanism that – so endorphins to say are relaxing is, is – uh, and yes, yeah, stress is, is bad. I mean it's a cop-out excuse, but it leads to everything. If you think about the autonomic nervous system, you have fright or flight and rest and digest. When you're stuck in fright and flight all the time and you don't, so we go to bed and we go to sleep, but we don't get rest, right? Because we're playing things throughout the day or maybe we're not sleeping properly. If you don't go into parasympathetic, all your systems don't reset. So that's why you get your, you know, your stomach issues, your hormonal imbalances, your menstrual irregularities, your uh, heart conditions, your your anxiety and your stress and palpitations and things like that, your insomnia, all these things are a mechanism of the autonomic nervous system. Endorphins or the acupuncture release of endorphins can actually be applied clinically to, you know, um, reduce a lot of these symptoms. Number one being stress, right? It's a complex okay. use, but stress is the root cause of a lot of problems that we have. For sure. And what are some other methods beyond just acupuncture that you could draw a similarity here? You know, does going to get a massage, does that create that same sort of release or chiropractic or, you know, what else is out there? Because everybody points to just exercise as that's what gets your endorphins pumping. Now we know acupuncture does it too. Yeah, I mean, everybody would love a massage. Some people may or may not. uh, Look, we all know about massages. We all know about chiropractic. We all know about physical therapy. I think the one thing that I'd like to kind of at least just bring up here is that acupuncture is a very effective and passive way to treat all these symptoms. I can only really comment on what I do. Um, The one thing that I'd like to kind of take the time out here is that when you go to some places they might offer you what's called dry needling. Uh, the American Medical Association at this point will say that dry needling is acupuncture. And if anybody other than an acupuncturist is doing something similar to acupuncture, uh, at the very least, it's illegal. But at the very worst, it could cause major harm and death, like collapsed lungs or organ puncture. Jeez. So a lot of people do out What there, is dry needling? Dry needling is basically acupuncture, right? It's the same term. It's a semantic argument to kind of get away and, and do something that you're not supposed to. So bill for something that you're not supposed to. But dry needling in and of itself is a high-level um, medical procedure that's done under, like, real-time fluoroscopy where they actually will look at an x-ray and in real time and agitate the tissue with like a syringe so if you have like a torn achilles or something like that and you want to kind of stimulate a very specific area so you had to hit a surgery and now you're you're, you know you have um an adhesion or you have an incision or an area that's not healing as well as you'd like to you can actually go in there and kind of scrape it uh under anesthesia and have and just locally stimulate the area to heal properly 
Okay. Right? So... So is dry needling like an extreme form of, of acupuncture, like taking it a step further? It's all acupuncture, right? You're taking yeah. a filament, you're taking a medical device, you're agitating a tissue and causing the body. If you're at the point at dry needling as, as a medical procedure, not at your local physical therapist saying that they're doing acupuncture. Yeah. Right? If you're doing dry needling, you're way, way beyond regular maintenance or repair. You know? Okay. That's like a severe situation. Yeah. Right. Uh, so ideally, if you were to get acupuncture on a regular basis, you wouldn't need the dry needling. And any other dry needling done is really a misnomer of acu actual acupuncture. Okay. And I'm glad before, as we were talking about this, you brought up the AMA, the American Medical Association. So mm -hmm. who actually oversees acupuncture? You know, just like you would have different boards that oversee surgery or... <sighs> radiology or whatever like how does that work in the acupuncture world so in new jersey we have uh new jersey board of acupuncture or the new jersey acupuncture examining board so they maintain the licenses in the state but okay. you go to a place in oklahoma where it's the wild west and you know <laughs> you get some you know uh I don't know, some rootin' tootin' Wild West show throw a knife at you and they'll call that acupuncture. But mostly, So it's a state-by-state state thing? State-by-state, state, but, yeah. you know, in the most most responsible states that acknowledge it, there will be some sort of examining board that issues a license. So okay. the most important thing is to make sure you have a license in acupuncture, not in anything else, um, you know. and Yeah. And, and not to get too much into the weeds, but I think it's good because a lot of people want to know more. You mentioned dry needling, and then you said your routine acupuncture. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference? Does that imply that everybody should be getting acupuncture as everybody should go exercise, you know, 60 minutes a day? Or what is what is maintenance in the acupuncture world? So I, I would ideally like to see that. I don't know that most people, it's in, in, the, in the thought process, but uh, there is this aspect. Okay, so California has this protocol, which is called the, pro, the, the California tune-up. You go in monthly quarterly with the seasons weekly whatever it's up to you um i think most people find is once they've had an acupuncture though they enjoy it you know okay. it's not a terrible thing it once you get over the the filaments and things like that you'll realize that it's actually a pleasant experience but uh, i don't think you would once your problems resolved i don't think you need to come in once a week uh but if you say you had a, what I, what i'd like to at least mention here is that if you have a condition that's treatable uh, specifically aches and pains or gynecological issues, um, specifically anything from, you know, like I say, from menarche to menopause, right? You can have hot flashes um, when you're going through menopause, but you can also have hot flashes when you're beginning your period if your 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 hormones are all in balance. And if your hormones are in balance and your period's off, then you're not getting pregnant. That's a good time to do acupuncture. You, okay. know, you can definitely introduce it uh, right then and there. So what I'd like to see is that acupuncture is... Nece not necessarily the first choice, right? Your second choice, right? You go to the doctor, you get checked out, you do an annual blood test, all that stuff. You do your your routine checkup. Get di if it's a serious condition and you you're diagnosed with something, you want to have, you know, being under the auspices of a medical doctor. But then your second choice should be try acupuncture for a lot of stuff. I'm not saying it's curing cancer, but it will definitely make the chemo process a lot easier, and you could save yourself. A lot of side effects of neuropathy. You know, a lot of times I'm yeah. treating uh, neuropathy at post chemo. You know? Okay. Or it can help you stick with the chemotherapy better because you won't be as nauseous. Because that's one study they've done is that acupuncture is really good with nausea due to chemotherapy, morning sickness, uh, and uh, post, uh, you know, uh, surgical anesthesia and things like that. And with uh, all these, with all these things that you just like referenced, would uh, acupuncture be like a cure or is it more? 
alleviating the symptoms that person's dealing with? Where, where, where does it fall? Well, I'd like to think that it's, it's a, a cure, uh, but certain conditions aren't curable. Uh, and to say cure is, is uh, almost uh, you know, a little irresponsible. You never really know. So in a situation with an autoimmune condition where the immune system is attacking the body, you can have symptoms like pain or, or lesions on the skin or, or um, you know, fatigue and things like that which you can treat, but you're not actually, you're regulating the immune system, but you're not stopping the actual autoimmune condition. That's something more on a genetic level inherited. Uh, something like a low back pain, right, that's muscular, yeah, that's yeah. a cure, right? You can come in for a few visits, and then when you leave my office, I'll give you some maintenance stuff like stretching heat and foam roller kind of things, and, you know, yeah. once we resolve it, we'll get it um, out of the way, but I'm not selling anybody on a new body you know if you continue to sit at work for eight hours a day and not do these things you will continue to have low back pain okay right so doing the things changing the lifestyle and in the environment could in theory lead to a cure of something like a neck pain a low back pain that's muscular yeah right we're not talking about structural issues like herniations or um, you know broken bones or things like that that might lead yep. to pain um you know but uh ideally you could do acupuncture for maintenance. I mean, that's something I'm working on now is concepts like genomic testing, finding disease before it manifests and, um, you know, uh, treating the condition before it becomes, say, like cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure. Uh, using the, the effects of acupuncture that we talked about before, you can kind of, um, you know, uh, guide the body on doing what it's supposed to and not do what it's not supposed to. I don't know if that makes any sense, but we can talk about epigenomics in a bit. Yeah, it's, it's, that's definitely interesting. Yeah, um, so it's it's a big it's a it's it's a mouthful, right? A lot of people we don't really understand the medicine and and the, and the science we're finding out is very new. But funny enough, one of the the better ways to show that acupuncture is effective was once we decoded the genome and found certain gene functions responsible for certain conditions, and then kind of looked at how acupuncture. Uh, turns these genes on and off, right? Yeah. Now we're understanding how acupuncture can help with well, not cure, but at least silence the genes that cause diabetes. So uh, I tell people it wouldn't be bad if you've done like an ancestry test, uh, specifically with 23andMe, and you have a genomic report. Okay. You can upload that report to say like nutritiongenome.com and find out what foods, you know, exacerbate or help your condition or you can upload it to the global database which is Prometheus and we'll look at every single genomic study done under the sun and match these genes now and now one, you tie that into what you do with yes, acupuncture yes but I would like to at least uh, acknowledge a very important thing here that just because you got a genomic report stating that you have an underlying condition that is not a death sentence right if you have perfect examples like we hear BRCA1 and 2 gene mutations about breast cancer and we know that some people out there do get it. Uh, the majority of people are age 62, and they end up going for, like, mastectomies. And then the new trend is, like, some people will find out they have the gene and go for a, a mastectomy for prevention. I think that's a little extreme, mm -hmm. okay? Just because you have the genes, right, for breast cancer doesn't mean you will get breast cancer because we now know that a lot of cancers or diseases are influenced by environment. So I give this example, like if you have the BRCA1 and 2 genes and you have a poor lifestyle, you smoke and you eat bad and you live next to a nuclear power plant, chances are you'll probably get breast cancer, yeah. right? Or you may not. That's just the roll of the dice. That's genetics. We can't put our finger on it, but we know that certain environmental factors like lifestyle, environment will turn those genes on and off. 
So one factor that's good is you go out into the mountains, you live a fresh life, whatever, fresh food, all these things, clean diet, and do acupuncture, you're less likely to develop the breast cancer, even though you okay. have the BRCA1 and 2 gene. So if you're a 16-year-old girl and your mom has breast cancer or your grandmother died from it, uh, and your mother's going through treatment, and you do a genomic test, that's a good way to kind of, it's like a crystal ball, right? Or it's it's a little uh, a peek into the future to say, yeah. that, hey, you know what, I have these things, maybe I shouldn't, you know, participate in certain behaviors that contribute. So with that being said, if you have a genomic test, and you have certain underlying conditions, and you're young enough, you could do acupuncture and herbs and to prevent, along with eating properly, diet and exercise. I'm not yeah. saying that acupuncture is a cure-all, but all it's it's not one thing. It's a lot of things, right? Yeah. You can do all these things, including acupuncture, herbs, uh, exercise, eating right, all these things. And ideally, that's that's what doctors are telling you, that a lot of the lifestyle stuff, uh, conditions and underlying illnesses are usually environmental, which is number one yeah. diet, right? Gotcha. And you mentioned along those lines of diet, you mentioned herbs. So like when you meet with a patient, I know you do some other things, send them home with stretches and mm -hmm. what have you. So what's, what exactly are herbs? So herbs Explain that. date back to like hunter gatherer society when we were just looking at the ground, tracking animals and stuffing yeah. things into our faces. <laughs> so most people, the whole thing about the funny thing is that everybody's like pushing paleo, which is uh, almost absurd. Um, you don't people. I don't think people realize the amount of calorie expenditure to slay like a mastodon, uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to to warrant you know driving to McDonald's and picking up high calorie meals. So yeah. as we were like traversing uh, the the countryside, we were picking stuff up and putting it in our mouths, finding that it was toxic, poisonous, or things like that, or sustaining us. But historically, uh, through observation, uh, people would say like somebody would watch a snake get injured and then see it crawl off and eat a certain grass and see that it, it would heal itself. But if you take the collective observation of human beings over time, that's what you get as herbs, right? Because we okay. have them in the West, we have them in the East. It's something that's, you know, cultural. You, you'll see like herb markets in a lot of countries. Uh, and then you'll see it at the health food store. So I'm not the guy at the health food store. I studied pharmacology. I've been applying them over years. And I can say that the herbs fall somewhere in between a proper nutrition mm -hmm. and pharmaceuticals, right? So you okay. don't have to rush and take, uh, got, you know, like a, you know, like a pain pill or an anti-anxiety medication that forms dependency. You could, you know, you know, eat something, eat something properly, but then introduce herbs that are, you know, very effective in treating that have the same properties. As a matter of fact, a lot of medications come from herbs or plants, you know? Yeah. Uh, but where does a, a vitamin fit into the mix there? A multivitamin is that would that be in like an herb category or that's it's no. not is that in the pharmaceutical category or somewhere in between? Vitamins I guess? are a micronutrient. So after you've eaten your vegetables, your body would have broken down that component into a vitamin and absorbed. So we take a multivitamin. I take a multivitamin because it's almost impossible to eat quote-unquote properly get every yep. vitamin under the sun to, to have optimal nutrition so that's sure. why we have multivitamins and that's fine too you know I, I i don't mind that i take that i think most people should yeah. but eating a rainbow like think about this eight different colors you have to eat and that's like eight different vegetables who's going to squeeze that in into yeah. <laughs> it becomes an obsession in their daily routine yeah exactly yeah so herbs is a good way to kind of like manage a lot of symptoms or conditions underlying without having to commit to like this you know everlasting pharmaceutical uh, dependency, right? Yeah. 
And I wonder why that is. I mean, there's so many different directions we could take this, but you hear about this dependency that's unfortunately oftentimes created at a young age that mm. you have someone dealing with, like you said, the stress or the anxiety. And before you know it, and, and I see this a lot, doing a lot of insurance, be it life or disability insurance as a part of a financial plan. When we go through this medical underwriting, I mean, that, that stuff is constantly apparent mm. where if, you know, maybe they were taking some herbs or something, then it's not such an issue from an insurance carrier's standpoint. So it's, it's definitely something that's at the forefront. We hear about it all the time. Why do you think that is, that everybody's going to get their, their prescription filled as opposed to having more garlic or whatever herb it is that could maybe kind of substitute for that in a way? Well, they don't teach it. You go to your doctor, he gives you a prescription, and you're taking your doctor's advice, and the doctors are thinking, well, I don't want this person to develop diabetes or a heart attack, so I'm going to preventively put them on a medication. What people don't realize about pharmaceuticals and medications is that uh, they don't cure anything. They, they, they suppress function of physiology, right? So in order for you uh, not to develop a condition, we're going to alter your physiology, and now once that you know, that drug or pharmaceuticals in your system, your body doesn't know how to operate without it. Without That's it. dependency. Yep. So you could talk about, like, substance abuse dependency. Like, if you overuse or abuse opiates, your body's going to keep putting you into, like, that rested state of parasympathetic while it starts generating, like, um, you know, adrenaline. So once you're off or you stop using, it's, like, full speed, full-on anxiety, tension, noradrenaline yeah worse than before right exactly so the more you use the more tolerance you develop to overcome the dependency so that's why you become dependent and then the less equipped your body would be to handle an event exactly exactly yeah Yeah. and you can apply that to really almost anything especially like uh you know antacids right if you're not if your body's not producing the right or it's overproducing because you're not eating properly now you're suppressing your body's function to produce stomach acids by taking a medication. Now when you're off it, you're just like, you know, uh, like a, you know, uh, acid geyser. It's like starting to flow all over the place. Because, yeah. you, you know, it's, a, it's subtle forces. Regular physiology and how the body works is how it works. Now when you start introducing things into it, like, you know, pharmaceuticals, it tends to kind of go off the rails pretty quick. Got it. Got it. And now with acupuncture, is there an age that you look at? I mean, taking it again, big picture view and, and from an economic angle, mm-hmm. we look at just the obscene amount of money that's spent on healthcare, and that the largest portion of that is really spent in like those last few years of life. Mm-hmm. So where does acupuncture play a role? I mean, can that help? I know we're, we're talking big picture here, but you think about Medicaid and Medicare and the funding crisis that these programs are going through. Is it something that can come alleviate some of that, you know, in our later ages, or is it too late at that point? Is acupuncture something that mitigates all these different health issues if you do it as a young adult, per se? Uh, I, I would like to think so, yes. That's the whole concept of what I'm trying to come up with, the epigenomic model of acupuncture, is that if you can find disease early, um, then you can at least implement some procedure. It doesn't have to be acupuncture. It could be. It could be herbs. It could be all the other stuff, eating properly to avoid, you know, the end game. You can pay now or you can pay later. Some people will complain that acupuncture costs a lot of money or it's expensive. Well, you're going to blow that money down the road when, you know, you go through your Medicare and you have serious health conditions. Um, So in in the course of studies in health systems, well, we don't have health care. So the health care that you have, your insurance policy, doesn't cover things for health they cover things that manage disease 
right? It's disease yep. management, and it and it's not um, a term that um, a conspiracy term, but that's just how we deal with conditions right now. We put you on a medication; it's not going away. You're not doing anything to to kind of resolve the underlying cause. We're just giving you a medication to manage the symptoms, and that medication actually causes more problems down the road. So if you look at like spending in America on medicine, we should be basically immortal at this point. We spend the yeah. most and we <laughs> yeah. have the worst results. Like we rank up there with like third world countries because the money's in specialization. It's not in prevention. Now, I think the trend in medicine is towards prevention. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be slow wheels turning. Uh, but the goal is to kind of, I think especially with, with uh, genetic or genomic medicine, what you're seeing is like, if you can catch a disease early and, uh, you know, counsel your patient properly and implement, you know, these roadblocks uh, in the course of health, you could avoid or not necessarily dodge the bullet, but when the disease manifests, it can't, it will, you won't diagnose a stage four cancer right away if you know that you have the genes for certain conditions underlying. Correct. Right. If yeah. you know at 16 that your parent, your, your grandmother died of breast cancer, your mother's going through treatment, you just did a genomic test and you know you have the genes, well, then you could do things like acupuncture, herbs, exercise, diet, lifestyle, all these changes and move away from the uh, nuclear power plant uh, yeah. <laughs> and into the woods. And you could kind of minimize a lot of that and avoid the big money dump at the end of late stage that you mentioned yeah. so there is a trend in medicine right now i think at least through legislation to uh, be proactive prevention 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 but i don't think the mind or the mentality has caught up to that yet i think you see amongst the health community people do want to live better lives and there's a need. i mean the supplement market is a billion dollar market for a reason you know but i think uh if we dodge the marketing of certain things like every every you know, every year there's a new something to be on that everybody convinces you. Uh, ironically, through genomic testing, you can find out if that one thing that's good for you is actually making you sick. You don't know yep. how your body's going to react to it, but, you know, full-on marketing is like everybody takes, you know, uh, ginseng. Yeah. That's a big popular one. But I can tell you as an herbalist, there's three types of ginsengs, right? Uh, if you have high blood pressure uh, and uh, metabolic conditions, the, the, the Asian ginseng, which tends to be a little speedy, is not the ginseng for you. You would want to go for more like a, a Siberian ginseng uh, as opposed to an American ginseng, which is more neutral. But everybody says ginseng is good. The guy at the health food store yep. said it. You, your neighbor took it. Now you're on it. You have high blood pressure. Now you're kind of making things worse for yourself. That's interesting. That's why it's important to kind of talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and there's just so much out there to... Absolutely. The human body is, it'll never be fully understood. It's an the, amazing thing. Yes, it is complex, and now genomic science has made it even worse. So yeah. <laughs> complexity yeah. is insane. Actually, uh, the term, have, maybe you've heard the term bioinformatics. That's no, I have just not. That's the science no. dedicated to, to, you know, scouring through all the genetic data that's out there. I mean, it's so much and so vast when you're looking for a specific gene and there's like thousands of studies on that gene and you're trying to think about one particular treatment for that gene, you know, you're using bioinformatics to look at all the relevant specific information uh, to kind of pinpoint what you're trying to do because the information is so vast. Wow. It's, uh, it's like you hear about people studying the stars or the deep sea. It's just... It is so vast. I mean, it's a it never-ending conquest. Absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing, actually. And we, we touched on insurance and, you know, kind of the part that that plays in our own daily lives and all the way up to, you know, economic decisions by our government. 
is acupuncture coming back home is acupuncture covered by insurance it's starting to be unfortunately there's no mandate in the state of new jersey that says that there should be ubiquitous or universal coverage you know it's not that every plan has to cover acupuncture but some plans do you're probably going to spend again more money on that plan on top of everything else and deductibles and, and things of that nature um but uh yeah there are some plans that cover you could get a plan with with acupuncture yeah. coverage interesting okay and now most of the the patients that you deal with when they come in what is what is their complaint are you is it stress is it finding that they have some sort of dependency either to drugs or to prescriptions that they want to wean themselves off of are they just working too much is it just the chronic back pain that everyone's dealing with nowadays like where what's going on with, so with people the majority of the patients i see are usually on their last stop on the train they've done everything else Okay. And they can have, like, you know, aches and pains. That's a common thing. And you can make a mountain out of a ball hill. You can not see, you can't diagnose a muscle tension, but you can see a herniation, and that automatically becomes a surgery for uh, a surgeon, you know, to hammer everything to a nail. So yeah. if you don't resolve the spasm, you will continue to have low back pain, even though you had the surgery, right? Uh, I see a lot of women's health issues, a lot of fertility issues, right? Uh, even women who've gone multiple IVFs, like three, four failed IVFs with poor egg quality, will come and get acupuncture to help, you know, uh, address underlying issues for that. But again, these are women who have hit a wall that aren't getting the results that they want. And the, the, the greatest tragedy and travesty of it all is people with underlying pain conditions who are overprescribed pain medications. And not only that, that's the, that's the minority of the problem. The majority of the problem is the collateral damage created by the irresponsibility, right? 40-plus percent of patients who have a substance abuse issue got it from a friend or a family member. It wasn't hmm. prescribed, right? Wow. And 80% of all intravenous drug users started with a pain prescription. Wow. They started getting, um, you know... Uh, the pills got expensive, so they five dollars for a bag of heroin. Didn't make a difference. They went for it anyway. So these are the numbers yeah. right now. Are actually our life expectancy has gone down because of overdoses and our, yeah. our dependency on medication. But this That's is incredible. Just, it it yeah. seems like things just seem to be like out of order. Like you would think that okay, I'm dealing with some sort of pain. All right, go try acupuncture or something of the like that we know it's not going to do you any harm, mm -hmm. and that's not getting the job done. Maybe then we'll upgrade you to something more intense like a prescription where now it's start with the prescription and then find your way to some of the natural remedies well that's how it appears that's yeah. how it was but recently what we've seen is like there's a big push for non-pharmaceutical pain intervention i think joint commissions for hospitals to get their accreditation need to have some form of non-pharmaceutical pain intervention and by that i mean you know it could be ideally acupuncture that's what i would like to see it um but um also, you're seeing the CDC, um, the AMA, all the big acronym health foundations, um, the NIH. They're basically saying the way we treated pain the last, say, 30 years was made things worse, wow. right? The prescription of pain meds. Um, and I hope that we continue in the future and, and learn something from this and say that, hey, you know what? Maybe let's not go to acupuncture as the last stop on the train let's you know let's check out let's it's all about responsibility right we as doctors take an oath do no harm and things like that and as a doctor you're you're required to give your patients you know the most 
you know, um, universal advice, including acupuncture. So uh, once you are evaluated and we have uh, a picture like an X-ray or an MRI or, um, you know, EMG testing or something like that, once we have a picture of the condition, then we can say, hey, let's start with acupuncture, see where we get. Did we treat this? Did we not treat it? Then point A, go to point B. Okay, didn't get better. Let's move it on to pain management. Uh, did pain management not succeed? Yes, let's go for surgery. Um, and then you have your surgery and then everything's okay. And now you're being prescribed pain meds. Let's introduce the acupuncture to reduce the dependency on pain medication. You know, I, I think there's a role for acupuncture everywhere in every stage in care. Uh, but it's a good start. And I, I think that from what I'm seeing because of the opiate crisis, we're seeing more and more of that now. I think people, A, have woken up. Maybe they're asking their doctors about it. Doctors should know that it's an option. Um, you know, I've been in this business for a long time. I walked in day one out of the door and I had doctors telling me that it was quote unquote uh, bullshit uh, to my face. You know, yeah. I'm not trying to make this uh, an R-rated podcast, but <laughs> that's what people told me. And it became do what works. And now we're at direct referral. You know, doctors will, will refer you for acupuncture. Wow. So that's progress. It that's is. Definitely it progress. Is. We yeah. need a little bit more, though. We definitely yeah. need it to be a little. Acupuncture should be where chiropractic is right now, above that and first and at that point. So you, and so you think that chiropractic is higher on the totem pole? Than, I uh, think at this point, people would are aware of chiropractic being an option more so than before acupuncture. Before acupuncture. Yeah. yeah, I think we need to do a better job of explaining it. I know it hides behind I think with shrubs. chiropractic, it's just, you know, hey, my back's bothering me. It, it feels like it's out of whack. This guy's mm-hmm. going to crack me, and instantly it, it feels like it's aligned. You know, I, I, that's just dealing with other athletes and, and people mm-hmm. um, that have gone through it. I've never done chiropractic myself, but that's usually what they Well, let me ask you a question. Share. Why haven't you done chiropractic? I just haven't felt the need. And frankly, I mean, that, that kind of crack and pop has always deterred me a little bit. <laughs> okay, like I'd rather say, hey, let me go try and do yoga and yeah. or just stretch or go run and see if that will loosen me up. And that's been my approach. I've always been a little bit hesitant. to. Another thing, too, is I always feel, and maybe acupuncture is a bit like this, but a lot of my friends have gotten very into chiropractic. Um, they go back and they go mm-hmm. back again and again and again. And so I don't feel like it's curing an underlying issue at that point. So maybe, but maybe it is a required maintenance thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know enough about this. To... I, I would say in all forms of medicine, including chiropractic and medicine, uh, if, if you haven't, if your friends go in back every week, it's something that they might have not implemented in their lifestyle to avoid what's causing the exacerbation of the injury. Listen, we all get older, we all fall apart, our muscles don't work as properly. If you're sitting at a desk for eight hours, that's probably what's causing the low back pain. You know, chiropractic can be effective, so can acupuncture. But I like to see my patients kinda, and I guess maybe it's my my uh, experiences in industrial hygienists, is to see what causes the root cause and eliminate that component. And that ideally should reduce the frequency of visits at some point. Yeah, I mean, listen. Once people, you know, the other thing too is like, once people out of pain, they'll stay. They'll do anything. They'll continue to stay out of pain. Yeah. It may not be that they're in pain. They just don't want to come to come back, and mm-hmm. that's perfectly fine. You know, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. But uh, I like to have like zero symptom results or one, two, right? Like, what's a two pain? Honestly, is it a little achy in the morning? But once you get going, you're okay the rest of the day. That's a win for me because I'm not yeah. selling anybody a new body. And then uh, here's another point: it's like after we've treated. 
you know, I see weather being a big impact on a lot of people. And then there's days really? where everybody comes mm-hmm. in like, oh, man, my back hurts. And that's not just one person. It's everybody because of, like, the weather, that cold, damp weather gets inside of you. Yeah, you can come back for a treatment. That's what maintenance is, you know. Huh. And Or you can say, oh, you know what, we're heading into the wintertime. My back's going to be really nasty, you know. Let me go treat it ahead of time. But once the condition or the symptom manifests, we don't need to put a lot of work into it to get it back to where it was. We can gotcha. just do very palliative care and get it back to Or you could just say, hey, you know what? Spring's coming. I got allergies. I have hay fever. Let me go to the acupuncturist. Let me get to tune-up. You know, these are things that we know. We can quantify yep. all this stuff with the beauty of genomic medicine. And gotcha. And it all comes back to the genome. It sure does. It sure it does. Is. Yep. And now going back to the genesis of how you got into this world, like, mm-hmm. so you're into natural healing, if you will, or whatever you want to call it. Why acupuncture? Why did you say that's the one? I, I really believe in that as opposed to being a nutritionist, going mm-hmm. at, after chiropractic or one of the other modalities. One of the greatest things about being young is that you explore and you look into new things like Eastern philosophy, Taoism, Buddhism, uh, and then things like martial arts i'm not a fitness guy i don't like you know your what your traditional western medicine of repetitive stress injury yeah and i chose to do things like martial arts like tai chi qigong which is part of chinese medicine too uh i did a little bit more you know aggressive forms i found out that contributed to my overall back pain and things like that but uh, when you get involved in that field, it kind of draws you. It's like a, a like an adventure into a new field, and it almost kind of becomes the next next natural step. If you're doing Chinese martial arts and you get injured, you kind of almost get introduced to things like acupuncture and herbs through reading and research and stuff like that, and that becomes you know a lifestyle and, and, and uh, a career, you know. Okay. All right, and so you were already kind of in that space through martial arts. That... I was, and I just got more and more curious about it until uh, you know I decided to pull the trigger and, and study it. Got it, got it. So it was kind of like you sidestepped into uh, in this whole space. And now we spoke, you know, because I know a lot of people will want to know about this. We spoke in your bio about you doing some work in detox, mm-hmm. touched on opiates a little bit in the crisis right now. How, just explain to us, like, how does it, it work if someone is going through that tragedy and they're trying to get on the right track? Is it, again, going back to the endorphins are going to be released through acupuncture? You're going to feel better, then you won't need to go back to that drug or... Um, is there something deeper that's that's yes. causing that effectiveness from acupuncture? That you couldn't have said any any better. There is something deeper. Acupuncture in this case is going to be um, symptomatic treatment. You're going to make things better for the patient to maintain their protocol. Acupuncture itself is not going to cure addiction, okay? Because nobody wakes up one day and decides to be a drug addict, okay? It's either irresponsible prescription of medication and use, or uh, I think we have to acknowledge things of trauma. You know, there's a history or an environment, maybe your family members use or drank, or maybe they used and drank and put you in a compromising situation and, and, and you're self-medicating. You know, you have to think that a lot of um, people suffering from addiction have some underlying root causes. So unless you yeah. don't address that through counseling, okay. not necessarily medication. I mean, sometimes we have to work on uh, the underlying stuff and that can be, you know, emotionally exhausting and challenging. Acupuncture can help take the edge off that while you're working with a responsible counselor, right? While okay. dealing with these underlying issues and dealing with, you know, how am I going to reassimilate into a society that the substances are going to be around? How do I change my life to avoid that stuff? I don't know if you've heard the terminology of the Florida shuffle. 
is actually the, 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 the way we treat addiction and detox and, and, and substance abuse at this point is, again, contributory to the problem of recidivism. In a way, you're set up to fail because they'll tell you you're going to fail, you're not going to be successful, and they're gonna, you know, you're going to go through the system again. It's the revolving door. And, you know, there's a whole rehab business out there that makes a ton of money that'll sell you things like uh, horse whispering. I don't know yeah. what that has to do with, you know, recovery. But um, in my own practice, I've dealt with uh, younger patients who were going through uh, their first time uh, seeking treatment. And the parents, it's a very, very crazy situation to number one acknowledge that your child has a substance abuse issue the child itself is dealing with the withdrawal symptoms of that and in there you have this established system that kind of takes advantage of that um you know maybe you don't need to go to rehab for 20 days. maybe you can't go to rehab for 20 days well, what can you do you know you could go see somebody you could seek counseling you could get vivitrol you could get acupuncture in the meantime while you're treating or going through outpatient uh, and we were, you know, we've been successful. I work with a partner, uh, and we've been able to kind of help parents make the right steps to get through it the first time, not go through detox immediately to like a 48-day rehab, spend all that money, come out, do outpatient, and then 12 months down the road start using again. Yeah. Right. It, it's about acknowledging triggers. It's about acknowledging symptoms. It's about treating root causes and underlying traumas and acknowledging all that. And, and hey, you know, it's, it's a long trip if you you slip and fall yep. uh i like to think more for relapse prevention i think acupuncture is really good like after you've been through the whole thing what yep. do you do when you're thinking about using again and i think yep. acupuncture can fit into there got it uh, so it's get, a comprehensive approach to yes. this whole thing you yeah. mentioned endorphins endorphins play a big role because when you're in a very acute anxious state uh after you've stopped using the substance your body's in a complete state of chaos Yep. So the endorphin release will help manage that, but it's not going to, to fix the problem. You need to kind of address the underlying causes, and there's a big psycho uh, re-educational component to that. How am I going to react? How am I going to behave acknowledging your triggers and your symptoms and working around that as gotcha. opposed to just talking to horses? Yeah, <laughs> teach their own. Now, we've talked a lot about on this show, people just obviously spending, you know, that classic saying, they're spending their health chasing wealth for their entire life, mm -hmm. and then they end up spending all of their wealth chasing back their health. Yeah. So what, if anything that we didn't touch on today that you'd like to have everybody out there hear? Any okay. big picture kind of item of yes. what the future holds? What can they do as they try and chase wealth in its original meaning, which is to have a state of well-being? Um, okay, so what I would say is, um, and again, this is only through uh, my opinion based on, you know, 15 years of clinical experience, uh, is that, number one, it wouldn't be a bad idea to start with some genomic testing. Or even, even if you know that your parents have or your grandparents had a certain underlying condition, these are the warning signs that say, hey, you know what, let me check it out. Let me see. Maybe I dodged that bullet. Maybe I didn't inherit that gene. If I did, what can I do to implement that, right? So when I talk about epigenomics or epigenetics, we're looking at the genome or the blueprint of what basically makes us who we are or what yep. we are or how our bodies function and pinpointing these small uh, flaws in there, 
right? Okay. And then saying, you know, how do I, like a gene for cancer, you can turn that gene on by eating poorly and having a lot of stress, or you can shut that gene off by not eating poorly, introducing acupuncture, doing preventative, you know, herbal programs and things like that. Uh, but we need to know that first. Yep. So right? step one is looking at the genealogy and that. Yes. Whole Look at like side. your family history. Uh, if you know that you, you know there's uh, cardiovascular disease, disease in your family, acknowledge that. Doesn't mean that you're going to get that. We're generally more healthy. Our our, our, our lifespans are going up up until the, the opiate crisis. Uh, we are living longer. Uh, but just you know, do a little crystal ball stuff. Look it up. Yep. See what's there, and then don't panic. Once you find out that something's there, don't freak out. Yeah. Right? It doesn't mean just because you have that gene doesn't mean that it's going to manifest. Yeah. Because right? there's magnitude and severity to certain gene and this combination. Of gotcha. So that's step one, and then is step two creating a diet that would absolutely you, adhere to yes. kind of maximizing your potential, I guess. Yeah, there are services out there that'll take the report and tell you what to eat and what not to eat okay. in order to turn these, you know, to avoid, you know, these diseases. So that's definitely one way. You are what you eat, right? We talk about environment. Environment is key. Watching things or, or see, being influenced by certain things. Um, there's, you talk about stress and everybody has stress, but there's three forms of stress. There's emotional stress that we all know and we're aware of that keeps us up at night. There's chemical stress, right? Like eating poorly or being on a medication. And then there's physical stress, like sitting at a desk for eight hours. So, you know, if you're not getting the right amount of sleep because you're stressing out and then you're eating, you know, you're scarfing down a cheeseburger at lunch with French fries and you're not chewing properly, no. uh, that's not helping. And then you're sitting at the desk for eight hours. Those three physical chemical and emotional stresses will kind of add up over time into something not good as got we it call in medicine yeah <laughs> the, the, the clinical definitive term. term yes sorry yeah. you're just not good right now. yeah that's not good yeah <laughs> well said all right cool this was this was very helpful so anybody else out there that that wants to learn more about you or about acupuncture um, just trying to create the best version of themselves any any book that you'd recommend or channel or what should they tune into i like could you know, if, if they don't live in this space on the daily, like any advice? You could, uh, you know, go to the Michael Bay's online lecture series on YouTube and check out some footage that I have and some okay. stuff like that. I don't so you know, have a YouTube channel? I do have a YouTube channel. I try to kind of explain things as very clearly and simply. If you just want some basic health stuff, check out my sixth grade bio, uh, the guide to, what is it? Um, sixth grade bio guide to health, right? Everything you okay. learn, like air, water, food. Yep. <laughs> the species. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Clean, right? Simple. Nothing too crazy. Once you start making things complicated, that's when things get uh, uh, out of control. Like, so what, what perfect example is like stress, right? Everybody says, "Oh, take ten deep breaths." That's not a cop out, a distraction. Yes, it is a distraction to get your mind off of it. But there's a very simple physiological reason. The deeper breath you take, the more oxygen you take in, the less work your heart has to do, thus slowing down the heart rate right yeah. that's breathing that's and some people will complicate it and call it meditation they'll spend hours breathing but you know sometimes we just you know how come you're sitting at your desk and you're sighing right you're like oh, you know yeah that's that's your body saying you got to take a few deep breaths and that's interesting so the brain is not huh. it can go without food and go out water for a little while but without oxygen guess what four minutes or three minutes game over flat line. yep exactly. <laughs> anything else that you want to share with with our listeners uh, I don't know. I don't think that people really read books anymore. Uh, I would say check your sources if you're going to look yeah. stuff up on the internet. You know, we're living in the age of uh, information, yet the information is really not the greatest or the best. But yep. uh, 
I think the information is very simple out there. You know, if you want to read something, read about how your body works according to like sixth grade bio and try not to veer off that. Got it. So kind of keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. I like it. Everybody tells you how to be healthy. They don't tell you why to be healthy. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Well, thanks so much for, for appearing on the show today. I think, uh, you know, our listeners have a ton of information that they can quickly try and apply to improve their lives. They can take that deep breath, get their oxygen, and um, keep moving in the right direction. Yep. So, ladies and gentlemen, we've had on the Kaderna podcast today, Dr. Michael Bays. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yep, my pleasure. And everyone else, keep tuning in, keep spreading the good word on the Kaderna podcast, and we'll see you next week. The Kaderna podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through PASS, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine 773-244-4420. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Passes an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.